Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker-dealer. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm excited to welcome a guest I truly admire, Leslie Priscilla Ariola Hillenbrand. Leslie's the founder of Latinx Parenting, and her mission is to transform the culture of parenting by educating, advocating, and inspiring families to practice nonviolence, self-reflection, connection, and community wellness. I very much wanted Leslie on this show because while her programs focus on Latinx parents, the wisdom and the guidance that she offers, the reparenting process she teaches transcend any one culture and can certainly benefit every parent. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being willing to be on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm, um, you know, in my cozy little office. My three kids are not anywhere near here. And although I love them around, I also love just having having this time on my own to chat with you. So I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Well, I am so impressed with your work and inspired by all that you do. I would love to hear a little about how you got into this work and what your days are like, what your focuses are these days. So I really started this work, I think, when I was a child. Um, I was the older sister of a baby when I was 10 years old. And at that time, my parents were going through a really messy separation. And I just wanted to be close to her and I wanted her to feel close to me. Um, And so I I always, when I talk about me as a mother um, and me as a parent, I always say, you know, I have these three kids, but I had a lot of my parenting experience actually raising my my younger sister in an emotional, you know, mental attachment capacity. 
And so I feel like a lot of the foundation for my work is rooted in just being a big sister and, you know, remembering also what I was like as a child. And so that's kind of where it started. But I was very interested in children. I was very interested in my own story and wanting to process. I majored in psychology very early on. And then I started taking child development and it really blew my mind just how attachment can make a difference and how, you know, just connection and then also just respecting children's autonomy and trusting them could make a huge difference for a child. So I went the early childhood route. I was a preschool teacher for many years before I decided to work with parents. And the reason I started to work with parents was because I would have all of these children come into my classroom that had behavioral issues. They had challenges that they would be moving through. Um, and we would work on them. And then they would go home for Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, Easter break, and they would come back with those same challenges. And so I started to really think about how much power parents had in forming and you know, connecting with their children. So that's when I kind of started wanting to work more with parents. I was fortunate that in the university that I was attending at the time, they had a family life education program that focused on working with parents. And after that, I got trained by a woman named Ruth Beaglehole, who at the time was the founder of the uh, Echo Parenting and Education Center in Los Angeles, did a 100-hour training with her, which was fantastic, rooted in social justice, nonviolence, um, and it was just fantastic. So after that, I've been working with parents since 2013. You know, to me, it feels like the blink of an eye. But I've just loved it. And I really focus on Latinx parents, Latino parents, because that's my experience having had a Mexican immigrant mother, a Mexican immigrant father. You know, my experience was very different than my white colleagues. And my husband is white. And so thinking about his family's experience and my family's experience being so different, I started to really think about the ways that culture impacts parenting specifically and Latino, Latina, Latinx culture is very unique. It's not monolithic, but it is really important to start to look at parents through that lens of culture. And so that is really what what lights my fire and, and why I work with Latinx parents specifically. And what are some of the common challenges or, or differences that you've, you've found in your work? So in Latinx, Latino, Latina culture, there is this quote-unquote funny joke that is made sometimes about how Latina mothers specifically parent their children with this weapon called la chancla, which translates to the sandal um, or the flip-flop. And so if you just Google la chancla, you'll see memes, you'll see baseball teams named after la chancla, you'll see restaurants named after la chancla. And it's funny. I mean, people do laugh that, you know, we have this authoritarian stereotype of mothers, Latino, Latina mothers specifically, so, you know, as I started to kind of explore why there is this stereotype, and, and it's not the full truth, Latina mothers are very warm also, I started to understand that the historical factors were really important when we think about the way that Latina mothers specifically and Latino fathers raise their children. And so, um, you know, there are these stereotypes that they're very authoritarian, that they use la chancla, that they use very physical ways of disciplining. And that was my experience, definitely. And it was the experience of a lot of my cousins. It was the experience of a lot of other people that I knew growing up that also identified as Latinx. And so I really want to dispel this idea that this is a cultural phenomenon. But I really want to emphasize that 
this is actually in response to historical oppression, that this is in response to colonialism, and that we did not historically, Indigenous peoples prior to colonialism, utilize these very authoritarian methods and this corporal punishment style of parenting. So that's because historically, children would be punished by society for going outside of boundaries in a more intense way that parents had felt like they needed to be protective. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And we still see that now. I mean, you think about a parent that maybe is undocumented and goes out to the grocery store and their child starts to have a tantrum or act out. That parent is going to have a very different visceral reaction than somebody like me or somebody like you who doesn't have to worry about their um, you know, undocumented status. So it's almost normal and natural that parents would want to keep their children safe, want to keep their family safe by doing some of these parenting practices. So it's not for us to really judge. I think that there is a lot of judgment sometimes that comes in towards black and brown families who utilize these kinds of strategies. But for me, it's really important, again, to just contextualize and to understand that the systems and the layers outside of those families are very different than maybe white or more affluent families may experience. So how do you help young parents um, or newer parents to understand their story and be able to change the cycle or change the pattern? That's a really good question. So I really had to step into accepting that I was going to get a lot of pushback because one of the huge values that we hold as Latinx people, and I think, you know, other cultures as well, obviously, is this notion of respect and respecting our parents. And I had some trouble acknowledging some of the harms that were done unto me as a child by having a very authoritarian mother who experienced mental illness, who had a lot of trauma as a child, and who projected a lot of that trauma onto me. And I had a really hard time acknowledging the fact that I was harmed as a child. And it wasn't until I started going to therapy and really unpacking and thinking about myself as that young child and remembering those feelings and remembering those sensations that I had, that I started to understand that it wasn't either or. It wasn't either I blame my parents or I heal. You know, it, it could be both. It could be, I could acknowledge the fact that they did the best that they could with the tools, with the resources, with the models, with the systemic supports that they had. And I could also acknowledge the fact that I was harmed as a child, that I experienced my own trauma and really honor that story. And so understanding that it was hard for me to make that acknowledgement put me in a place where I understand where other Latinx parents would find it difficult to make similar acknowledgements because it feels like we're disrespecting our parents by making those acknowledgements. And so I would have these experiences where I would be working with Spanish-speaking immigrant parents in elementary schools, and I would get a lot of pushback even in person saying, I'm not going to say that my parents did anything bad. You know, they're telling me that their parents would have all of these really harsh strategies for parenting them, and yet they would say, you know, my parents did it and I deserved it. And that to me was really painful sometimes because I, at that time, was, and, and I still am very much a child advocate, and I don't believe that any child deserves any kind of violence. But as I started listening to their stories, I realized, okay, if I'm going to really be clear and grounded in working with Latino, Latina, Latinx populations, I have to understand that this is something that we may have trouble with. 
in making this acknowledgement. And so in the work that I do, we talk about those historical aspects. We talk about that systemic you know, awareness of all the other things that are impacting our families. And to me, one of the really important things to do is to hold those dualities, right? Hold the duality that our parents did the best they could, and it could have still been really harmful. And now, you know, we're not moving into judgment of them. We're not moving into judgment of ourselves when we end up slipping and when we end up repeating those same patterns with our children in anger or in frustration or helplessness but we're really holding ourselves in compassion. And I think for me, one of the most powerful tools has been to reparent myself and to guide others in reparenting themselves and really thinking about ourselves as children and this idea of remembrance, you know, remembering those feelings, those sensations, those experiences can put us in a place of self-compassion that then ripples outwards towards our children and ripples outwards towards our parents even. You know, and I'll never say to somebody, you have to forgive your parents. You have to, you have to move through your process in this way. You have to heal in this way. I really truly believe that everybody has their own path and their own process to follow. But for me, it's been really powerful to turn that self-compassion and that empathy inward so that I can offer it to my children so that maybe it will translate into offering it to my own parents and to my ancestors, really. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I feel like every young parent has a version of this, no matter what their culture is, where they're from, and what their past is. It could be maybe less traumatizing things than being physically punished. But I feel that we all, myself included, have things that we want to do differently and things that were harmful to us that we want to change. So this process that you're talking about I feel translates to every parent. Tina Payne Bryson in her book with Dan Siegel, The Power of Showing Up, talks about how important it is to learn our story and to own our story so that we can start to do this reparenting that that you're talking about. You know, this was my story. And yes, my parents, they were the result of their story and so on and so on through my ancestry all these cycles, but this is my story. And once we kind of own that, then we can make the decision to do the very challenging, brave task of doing it differently. And in doing it differently, that in itself can help us to heal, right? At least that did for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that you said that was so key is that this is such a brave thing to do is to turn the mirror inward. And to think about how do I show up for my children? At the root of everything is that self-reflection, right? And, I, and I'm very fortunate that one of the first books that I read was Parenting from the Inside Out by Dan Siegel and Mary Hartzell. That book was really revelatory to me in that I knew that there were certain things about my childhood that didn't feel good, but it contextualized it for me in terms of what was going on in my brain and what was going on in my body. And the way that I experience those memories. And so now I think that, you know, after I've now made that commitment to own my story and to own my narrative, now I can think about what things do I do as a mother to my three children that align with my intention and not with my wounds. Right. We can start to separate that out. And it's not easy, you know, and you know. No. Yes, <laughs> like, you I know. know. It's, it's a lifelong process, I think. I learned some things this summer about myself from when I was a toddler that I had just 
thought were me, you know, like you said about the parents who were physically punished, that they feel like they deserved it. I mean, that's what happens, right? We feel like it's us. And to realize, well, no, actually, you had a sensitivity that maybe even your siblings didn't have. But, you know, it's not that there was something wrong with you. Yes, it is that shift away from there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me that I'm shouting. There's something wrong with me that I'm slipping back into these patterns. It should never be about that shame. It should always be about I'm noticing, you know, that observation. I'm noticing myself shouting. I'm noticing myself becoming triggered or activated around these things. And now what do I need to do for myself in my body, right? And so much of what I talk about has to do with reconnecting and reclaiming our bodies because through 500 years of colonization, and I'm speaking specifically about um, cultures that were colonized, we have been so disconnected from our bodies that to understand our sensations and to, to bring compassion inward towards those sensations is revolutionary, I think, you know, and to really bring breath as our strength and bring grounding and, and all of these concepts that I think ancestrally we knew were strengths. And after being parented in these ways, and being passed down some of these ways that we have been disconnected from our bodies, I think that that's a really powerful thing to be able to do for not just colonized peoples, but I think for everybody, you know, and, and to really honor our processes and to honor our bodies and all of our experiences. I have to say that a statement that I get that bothers me is that the type of respectful parenting that I teach and what you're teaching is for white people. Only. Yes. <laughs> or it's for privileged people. Only. Yes. And where there is some truth in that, in that, yes, it is a privilege in itself to have the mental bandwidth to consider what you're doing as a parent. If you're struggling to get food on the table and a shelter for your children, of course, you know, although sometimes people in those situations are doing a lot of things, quote, better, but you're not going to be able to take a thoughtful approach, maybe. But it's still available to you. It's available to everyone. The idea that people are, you know, could be shut out of these ideas that make your life easier with children, that make it work better, that, that help you raise the kind of children you want to raise and have the relationship with them that you want to have. The idea that, that people are shut out of that it really upsets me or that people think that. I hear that a lot because, again, there is this resistance and there is this claim of hitting kids is just our culture. You know, you get this in Black families as well. Hitting kids is just our culture. That's just what we do. And there's not this understanding that there is this long history of perpetuating the oppression that we experienced as people. And so for me, it's the question of, do I want to continue to raise my children in a way that they feel oppressed, that they are fearful of authority? Or do I want to parent through the lens of liberation and wanting my children to experience their autonomy, to experience their independence and their freedom to be and to unfold into the sovereign beings that they are here to unfold into. And so you're right. I mean, it's not inaccessible to think about the brain. <laughs> you know, it's not inaccessible to think about the power of taking a deep breath, just that in and of itself. The greatest tool that you have is just the your heartbeat, the air in your lungs. I mean, you know, that reconnection to your body is so important. And it's something that I don't have to teach people that's new. I think it's just something that we have to remember that we have. You know, it's just, oh, yeah, I actually do have these tools. I actually do have access back to myself. 
And I think to bring in that social justice piece, it is for some of us that are more privileged because I am a Latina, but I am white presenting. And so it's up to me to advocate for those who are actually still marginalized and who don't have the space. And so this is where we talk about, you know, getting involved in politics and and the activism that we can create around supporting families so that they have more and more access to some of these tools. Yes, I'm so happy that you're out there doing this work. I want to think a little about now something that's maybe a more sideline issue, but I'm sure there are lots of others like this that stem from cultural beliefs and end up just making certain aspects of parenting harder. One that comes to mind and that comes up a lot for me in the consultations I do with parents is there are cultures that the parent is failing, the mother is specifically is failing if she's not getting the children to eat a lot of food, you know, a certain amount of food, that this is part of the parent's identity as a good mother, that her children eat a lot. And the the stress that that puts on the parent to try to make something happen that usually backfires because we all know that that stress is an appetite suppressant, or it can be. I mean, I guess for some people, it's, it's the opposite. But for young children to feel this this tension when they're trying to eat, it just makes it harder. And so it, that becomes a cycle that the parent gets stuck in. Um, yeah, and, that, that uh, was very much my experience as a child with a, a mother who grew up in poverty herself as a child. And so when I wouldn't want to eat my food, I would have to sit there and force myself to finish my food. And it wasn't because my mother wanted to make me suffer. <laughs> like that no. wasn't her intention. But she wanted to make sure that I was grateful for the food that I had and did not waste any of it, right? The byproduct of that, however, is that now I have a really hard time tasting new foods. I have a really hard time when I don't finish a plate. Actually, it was my husband that was the first one that told me after we had been dating for a few years, you know, if you're not hungry anymore, you don't have to finish your plate. And I, I looked at him like he had three heads. Like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand what you're saying to me because that wasn't my experience. And so it is true that, you know, sometimes because of those blueprints that our parents have had, great grandparents, et cetera, that we have lost that, you know, that autonomy to kind of decide for ourselves what feels good to my body. When am I full? When am I cold? You know, that's something, another stereotype of, of Latina, Latinx parents. I mean, maybe other cultures as well is, you know, go put on a jacket. It's like 75 degrees and it's like, it's freezing outside. You have to go put on a jacket. <laughs> and it's like, no, I don't want to wear a jacket. And, and you have to, you know, you're made to wear this jacket because of the experiences that our parents had. And, and I do want to emphasize, like our parents did not have the space to make these reflections, to really think about what was actually happening. My mother was, you know, again, grew up in poverty, came to the U.S. when she was 14, started working right away. And so that was a big chunk of her childhood. So when she started parenting me, and I'm sure that this is the case for many other children of immigrants, there wasn't this rootedness in that reflection. So a lot of patterns get repeated, including the food patterns, including, you know, this idea of wanting to protect kids by making sure that they're warm all the time, et cetera. So you know, it's not just Latinx culture. I've heard about it, again, yes, from, from Asian cultures, from African cultures, etc. So it's really interesting to see all of these connections between all of our cultures that sound very similar to each other. Yes. 
And yeah, right now we have got this sort of renaissance that can also be very overwhelming of information and support for parents, messages and tools. And it's wonderful, although, again, it can be overwhelming. But nobody was doing this stuff when my mother was a parent. It was supposed to be instinct. It was supposed to be that you just do what you felt and you should know everything and know what to do. Yeah. And you had to work really hard, you know, and you had to you had to just keep hustling and you had to keep doing. And so I think like for some of us, I you know, I can speak for myself and for some of the friends in my community, like we don't know how to rest. It's really uncomfortable for us to just take a break, like especially for mothers, we feel like we always have to be doing something. And I think about my mother and 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 her working really hard all of her life and her mother working really hard all of her life. Even if, even if it was just, quote unquote, raising children, there was still this aspect of never stopping. So I think one really important thing I think it has been for, for the parents, at least that I work with, is to reclaim rest, to really allow ourselves to have that space to be able to reflect or sleep or whatever. You know, I have two children who are under three right now. And so I'm like, all about the sleep, you know, whenever I can get this, whenever I can get the sleep, but not feeling guilt about it because there are times where I'm going to go off and nap for a little while. And I have this like tiny pinch of guilt about going and resting. So it's really important, or at least it has been for me to really reclaim this idea of rest for parents, not just in Latinx culture, obviously, but I think as a whole in parenting. Right. Not just working yourself to the bone and so what do you have coming up that you're doing? What are your programs that you want to share with us? You do coaching workshops. How can parents enjoy your wisdom and soak it up and learn from you? Yeah, so I have these two offerings that I cycle. One of them is called the Decolonized Nonviolent Parenting Course about raising our children. We talk about brain science. We talk about trauma. We talk about anger. We talk about our own narratives. And it's very um, profound. I think a lot of the stories that come to the surface in those groups are very much about our own childhoods and not too much about our children, which is kind of the point, right? And I feel like when we start to reflect on our childhood, it just makes us a little bit more intentional about the way that we want to raise our children. Um, And then the other offering that I have that is an eight-week-long course is a reparenting class. So that one is specifically for Latinx or, or BIPOC folks who want to come and you know really do this work of reconnecting with our inner children, developing the sense of our inner mother or inner parents, and really reconnecting to this idea of you know a greater mother. So I call it my future abuelita or my future grandmother self. Other people may call it source or spirit or whatever it is, but you know really reclaiming this idea that we are supported. And that it is okay to rely on each other in community and as a collective in order to progress our healing. And so both of those offerings kind of work in tandem because as we're doing the parenting work, we're also reflecting about ourselves. And what I found, it's really cool because people will do one of the courses and then be like, well, I actually need a little bit more work with the reparenting. So they'll jump into the other course, but it is really neat just to see people's process. And I feel so honored to witness all of these stories. So Tell me a little more about this reparenting. I I love this idea of the wonderful grandmother figure that we're going to be. Can you give me a little about the steps that you take in those courses to reparent? Uh, A lot of people ask about that. And yeah, yeah, I would love to. So the main thing is at the beginning, at least of the course is to remember, 
you know, and to think about ourselves as this child or as these children, because obviously we went through different ages where we experienced different things. And so really think about ourselves as still having this inner child, this inner niña, as I call her, that still has needs, you know, and still gets activated and still emerges every now and then, especially when we are feeling threatened or when we're feeling unsafe. And so because so many of us have these um, relationships with our parents that were not ideal, we haven't really had the blueprint or the model for knowing how to reparent this inner child. Um, and so what that could look like is we may end up, you know, shaming ourselves further and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. How could I not think of that, et cetera. And, and really using that kind of language, right? Which is really being harsh with our inner child. And so the second part of it is to develop this relationship with our inner parent who can be that safe space, you know, and actually communicate with our inner child. I got you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to let you, you know, just flounder the way that other adults may have um, as you were growing up. And so it feels kind of weird for people at first to have these dialogues with their inner child, but I model it. And then we go through those processes in the course as well. And so sometimes it's really difficult, again, because we don't have the blueprint to know how to be a parent for those of us that grew up and didn't have those examples and those models. And so we really want to tune in to our guidance, you know, our future abuelita, our future grandmother self. Think of ourselves as already having all of those tools that we need to be able to have that safety and to have that ability to reconnect to ourselves. And so I think about my grandmother self, my future abuelita self, as wise. I think of her as loving. I think of her as protective. I think of her as being able to hold all of my experiences. And so I feel like I'm constantly moving towards this version of myself that I have access to so long as I have the intention to reconnect with her. So they kind of all work in tandem. And then we do some exercises around reconnecting to Madre Tierra or Mother Earth you know, it all kind of comes together. And so I really love this model. It's been really supportive to me. I've been reparenting myself for, I want to say since my daughter was an infant, so about nine years. And it's just been really powerful. And, and um, I draw a lot of strength just from thinking about myself as having these supports and really holding my inner little girl and, and reminding her that she's actually okay and that she's held. Oh, it's so beautiful and profound. It is really neat just to see people's process. And I feel so honored to witness all of these stories. And, and I feel really hopeful, Janet. Like I really feel like this has been a time of um, strife for a lot of people. But I think in the work that you and I are doing, there's a lot of hope as well that I'm seeing in the way that we're raising children um, and the way that we're re-engaging with them and re-engaging with ourselves. So, Well, what a gift you are. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I was so excited to be invited. So thank you so much, Janet. I appreciate you and all the work you do. Thank you. And check out her programs and share them with your loved ones, people that you know would need this life-changing work that Leslie is doing. You can learn all about Leslie's resources at her website, latinxparenting.org. And she's also very active on Instagram, at latinxparenting. Also, please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, JanetLansbury.com. They're all indexed by subject and category, so you should be able to find whatever topic you might be interested in. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Childcare, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can also get them in ebook. 
at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or Barnes & Noble, and in audio at audible.com. You can get a free audio copy of either book at Audible by following the link in the liner notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.